blank screen. Kind of sort of the way I feel these days. And it's hard for me to sing with a mask on and even harder, I believe, because I get a little emotional listening to my brothers and sisters sing. Great experience and it's great for us to be here. Very interesting times, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't know if we can navigate this or not, Mike. I want to do what I can. I'm not as good as some of these high-tech boys. But why am I not getting a signal here? How did I? Well, are you serious? Are you kidding me? No football this year? Uh, this is Alabama. I mean, what are we going to do without football? I mean, Doug, Doug's going to really have a hard time. Some of the rest of us will too, no doubt. And I hope this advances. Come on. Well, I can watch reruns of games. If you go to Walmart once a week, bring me something back to eat. I guess everything will be all right. Oh, no. I've told you three or four times you cannot go down the street to visit with your kids. Jimmy's got six people in his family. That's six opportunities to get infected for crying out loud. And please do not play your game as loud as you've been doing, okay? Uh, honey, give me an Anison and find what channel Andy Griffith is on. Well, I'm doing the best I can to be positive, right? And I'm trying to fake it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. But at least I'm trying, right? Sure, I don't always feel everything, but Dale Carnegie said, act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Well, you know, there are worse things than having the coronavirus. There are worse things than death, as unhappy as it may sound to us. And none of us wants to jump in right away on that score, but there are worse things. And so I guess what we really ought to be doing is sort of uh, just taking a deep breath and realizing that God is in charge and that we're going to get through this one way or another. And the worst thing would be to get the virus, and the worst thing would be to die of it, but then guess what? You get to go to heaven. So I know we're not anxious maybe to make up a bus load right now, but still we need to keep this in mind. Elders have never encountered what we are going through, and they're doing the best they can to uh, keep us on balance in a totally unnatural situation where we enjoy coming and seeing people and hugging them and shaking hands and all of those good things.
There's so much of that we're talking tonight about Barnabas, the son of encouragement. What a wonderful person Barnabas must have been. And he's gone to his reward. And quite frankly, uh, I'd like to have his opportunity. I'd like to have his chance since I'd swap mine for his, believe me. Three things stand out, maybe more than that, but three things. Barnabas was a generous person. Not only was he generous, he loved souls. And Barnabas was an encourager. So should we all be. And we read about him in Acts chapter 4 and verse 26. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we have Barnabas rendering a great service at the time the infant church had members staying in Jerusalem and not going to their old homes in the empire, and they needed help in a temporary way. So Barnabas brought money for this land that he had sold. And we read about him again in Acts chapter 9. Take up the Apostle Paul, in fact, had come to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us he had assayed or tried to join himself with the apostles and the members of the church there, and he was being shunned because people did not trust him. Just not long ago, this man had been a persecutor, and in fact, he had had letters from the high priest in Jerusalem and gone all the way to Damascus to find people there who were following the way and to bring them back of punishment. He himself later said, I persecuted this way to death. So very likely he had the blood of Christian martyrs on his hands. But he was converted as we know. And when he came to Jerusalem after some period of time, maybe three years later, and essayed to join himself with the apostles or with the disciples there, nobody wanted anything to do with him. Are you surprised? Not really, because he'd not had time to be around them and prove himself. But you know what? Barnabas, the son of encouragement, knew about it. And he says he took hold of it. Got him by the arm. And he brought him to apostles and he described to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road and that he'd talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he did that right away. But there was a plot against him and he left. He went away into Arabia for some time he apparently came back to Damascus, and now when he comes to Jerusalem, the same language is set up. He is debating with the Jews there, and he's speaking boldly to things concerning the kingdom. And they sought to take his life as well. So it was at this point that the disciples, the people in Jerusalem, sent him away down to Caesarea so he could go back to Tarsus. And so that's where he is at this time. But in the meantime, Antioch, that great city in uh, Syria. This was a city of some 500,000 people. It was the third largest and most uh, the best city in the whole Roman Empire. It was located on the Orontes River between two great mountain peaks, and there was a great community of Gentiles there. And of course, there was a synagogue there too, but the synagogue was not really much in play at this time. But some of the people, after they had spread out 
Following the persecution that arose after Stephen's martyrdom, they went to various places and they were preaching the gospel, but only to the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And then we take up in verse 22, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent, who did they send? That's right, they sent Barnabas down there. And why do you think they sent Barnabas? Well, let me tell you, if you were, if you were in the Old West, and specifically if you were in Tombstone and you had a little problem with uh, unruly people, who would you call for? You'd probably call for a good old white earth, right? you call for your top gun. And so Barnabas was about the top gun, apparently, and they sent him down to Antioch. Then when he'd come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. As a matter of fact, historians tell us that before long, there were maybe 100,000 Christians in Antioch. And I'd say that is quite significant. And there he is, and guess what he does when he gets there? He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. And we get the feeling there here that uh, he didn't necessarily, necessarily know where Saul was. He had to go and find him. or had to look for him. And, but he knew where he was as far as the city was concerned. And he brought him to Antioch. Now this interesting. Here's the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle to the Gentiles. And we don't know what he's doing in Tarsus, but you know he's not just cooling his heels down there. He's bound to be teaching people. But Barnabas sees this great opportunity in Antioch this is a long way from Antioch down to Tarsus, Tarsus, and it's some terrible terrain to go over. But he went and got him and he brought him back. And it came about that for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, as we've already indicated. And it was also at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And this was in direct fulfillment of the prophecy in the Old Testament, the new name which the Lord was going to give. And He did. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And we know that Claudius would reign from about 41 to 54. And Josephus tells us that this famine occurred in the years 44 to 48 A.D. And so it's very likely then that this happened pretty early in this famine. And in proportion that any of them, that is the saints at Antioch, had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for relief of the brethren living in Judea. What a great thing. Now they have been prospered, of course, by the church in Jerusalem, sending people down to help them, namely, of course, Barnabas at this time, and others later. But they were very instrumental, of course, in seeing that the Christians were taught the gospel. So the least these people could do 
is to uh, reciprocate and participate in their need as far as benevolence was concerned. And so that is what they did. And who do you think they sent this money by? Well, they sent it by the encourager and Saul. And they sent it to the elders in Jerusalem. Barnabas and Saul took this money to the elders and then sometime later, the intervening chapter talks about what happened to Peter. But then they came back from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission and they brought along with them also John, who was called Mark. And we'll encounter him later on. Mark is an important person in New Testament history. He is important to us because we can read his account of the gospel today. Now, there were at Antioch in the church there, prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaim, who had been brought up with a tetrarch, and Saul. Now, isn't it quite interesting that here again we have the Apostle Paul, who is a man that has a direct mission to go to the Gentile Christians. None of these others here are apostles, but they're all teaching down there and they're prophets and people who have spiritual gifts. But isn't it you know, kind of interesting that Saul is named last in this group, even though he was an apostle. So that plays out a little bit. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy, Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And Cyprus was the home of who? It was the home of the encourager, Barnabas. So maybe this kind of fitting and also interesting that that'd be the place they would go first. They went as far as Salamis and there they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. This is the mark that was introduced earlier. So we have a little map here of this first journey you can see and follow it. They went from Cyprus, first to Salamis, Paphos, and then up to Perga. And this is where they encountered the false prophet Bar-Jesus. And it's at Perga that John Mark returns to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why he returned to Jerusalem, but later on we find out Paul has a problem with his returning at that time. So that's some intrigue that perhaps we'll take up. But we don't know why John Mark returned, and we don't either. But it's interesting that after he has gone, that at this point, Paul is the leader from now on. It was before this, it was Barnabas and Saul, and now it's Barnabas in the second place. It's Paul. And Barnabas. Of course, that was his other name, his Roman or Greek name. Uh, Saul was his Jewish name. So he's taking the lead at Antioch. This is Antioch in Pisidian, <laughs> not the one in Syria. 
So he preaches in the synagogue there. When they had gone in, the reading of the law was done as it always was. And then, as a courtesy, the people, the chiefs of the synagogue asked brethren to Paul and Barnabas, do you have anything to say? And so Paul got up and boy, did he really give them a great sermon. And this is included in Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. They were quite excited about this. Created a real stir in that city. Things were happening. But, but, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And we're going to find out this is a pattern that uh, just kept on going. Paul and Barnabas flee from Antioch because of the threat to their lives. So they come to another stop and here they go to Iconium. And they also flee from there because the threat against their lives. They come to Lystra in Laconia. And after healing a lame man, man, this caused a great furor in the city here. Because these people had never seen anything like that. And they began, began calling Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker or messenger. And they called Barnabas Zeus, the Greek name their chief God. So the priest and the crowd, they got animals together, they got flowers together, and they were going to worship Paul and Barnabas. Of course, Paul and Barnabas were having none of that. And they tore their clothes and said, brethren, you can't do this. We are just men like you. We're just teaching you the gospel. So that seemed to take care of that. Well, it did momentarily. But in the meantime, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium traveled some of them a hundred miles to come down and still harass Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they won the multitudes over, it said, and they stoned Paul, dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city. Now, you know about stoning. This was a terrible execution. It was the execution of the Jews, not the Gentiles. And I don't know how he survived. It had to be perhaps God's providence that he did because they expected him to be dead. And it's kind of interesting too that Barnabas was not stoned along with Paul. Remember when later when Paul and uh, Silas were at Philippi that both of them were flogged and put in prison in the stocks. But this time Barnabas apparently was not uh, harmed. And we don't understand why but these people, the Jews, stirring up the problem, they knew, of course, that Paul was the main guy, and therefore they went after him. But this was a terrible thing for Paul to undergo. Now they go to Derby, and this is where they're going to meet, and if they met him then, fine. If they didn't, then Paul met him later on his next journey, a young man named Timothy. They said they'd made many disciples at Derby. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, where they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then they appointed elders in every city. Well, how much time had gone by since they had preached the gospel in these various cities? 
not a great deal of time. Perhaps in some places, no more than two years. Some maybe even less than that. As they came back, but they appointed elders in every city. Isn't that interesting? And it said they appointed them. So Barnabas was involved in this in some way. It's ever been a real problem for some people to figure out how to appoint elders. We have it figured out here. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how that is, but we have it figured out. But uh, in any case, they uh, were able to do that. And these are people who were new converts, some of them. Well, I guess all of them were, if you think about it. Now, it's possible that some of the Jewish converts had already been exposed to the idea of elders and leadership in that sense. But a great, much, the majority of these churches here were Gentiles. And so it gives us a... Uh, gives us a question when we see that churches have been in existence for 10, 15, 20 years and don't have elders. And you wonder about that because maybe somebody's being just a little too picky about the qualifications. You don't want to put people in that are not qualified. True. But uh, at the same time, something is amiss with that. So now, they come back to Antioch. And when they'd arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how He'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is what we do today. Never will I forget the first time we took a team over to Russia and uh, we came back and there was a lot of excitement about that and people were really anxious to hear what had happened. We still do that, but some of the, some of the novelty or some of the new sort of has worn off in a way, but we still do that and our missionaries still come and give us reports, and everybody is very excited about that. So they spent a long time with the disciples. This first trip, in all, by the time that Paul and Barnabas began teaching down at Antioch to the time they got back here, took the most of between 45 and 50 A.D. So this was that period of time. And now it says they spent a long time with the disciples. We don't know what that is, but... A long time is not three weeks. It's not three months, in my opinion. I'd say it's probably two years. They traveled some 1,500 miles, perhaps. 500 of it by sea and not all of that easy going. But what was really tough was the rest of it over land and traveling mostly on foot, I'm sure. I doubt that they had horses. Some places you couldn't really take horses and wagons or horses by themselves. They didn't have much. Then they had cars and chariots, but... That's not the way they traveled, I'm sure. So you think about that, some pretty tough country to navigate uh, with all that. And here they are. So these men have really done a great service. And now, as they're there, and sometime later, these guys came down from Jerusalem. We're told in Acts chapter 15, and they said... Unless you're circumcised after the order of Moses, you can't be saved. And Paul was not about to abide that, nor was Barnabas. So they had a great dissimulation, a great debate with them. And because of that, the people at uh, Antioch sent, who do you think they sent to Jerusalem to talk to the elders and the apostles about this? That's right. They sent Paul and Barnabas. Some others went as well. And so they went there and they got an opportunity to report to the Jerusalem church the things that God had done through them. And there was great rejoicing. And there was a lot of talk. Uh, the whole church came together. And this debate went on for a while. And we understand that these Judaizing teachers, these uh, Jews, 
that were converted were a big faction there in Jerusalem. And it's interesting to us when we see that these came from James, the Bible tells us. But then James says, we didn't send them out when they got together. Paul and Barnabas uh, rehearsed what they'd done and also they took part in this debate. And it ended well because when Peter got up, he said, you know, when I went to the household of Cornelius, God accepted them just like He did us. And they received the Holy Spirit at that time and were baptized. So he said, we don't need to put any burden on them and yoke on them that uh, we're not able to bear. And our fathers could not bear the yoke he was talking about in the law of Moses. And so after much discussion, James had the final word. Now that's interesting to me. James was not an apostle. He is, we learned earlier, is the brother of the Lord, fleshly brother, half-brother. And so it's interesting that he was one of the big spokesmen there. And that these men, in order to have credibility when they came down to Antioch, they were saying that we've come from James. And James said, we didn't send them down. It seems, though, that maybe they were ignoring them or just kind of putting up with these guys in Jerusalem. I'm not sure about that. But uh, Paul later says that James was one of the pillars in the church in Jerusalem when he enumerates James and Cephas or Peter and John. And so we know that he wrote the book, that is James, that uh, carries his name. So there's quite a bit of discussion. And finally, they drafted a letter and sent it down to Antioch by Paul and Barnabas and also Judas and Silas. So this settled that matter. And then Paul said, well, look here, Barnabas, why don't we get ready to uh, go back and visit the churches that we helped establish? We started and preached the gospel. Isn't that a great thing? That's what we should do. I've got to tell you that in, uh, in Russia, when a lot of the churches were born there and taught, that yeah, we didn't have a very good plan to follow up. And that's a big mistake. New Christians need to have a follow-up. And we've learned better than that in these days. But in those days, they knew better than us. So Paul said, Barnabas, let's go back and check on him. And he said, okay, I'm ready to go. And we don't know all the discussion went on, but Barnabas wanted to take Mark, who was his cousin. One version says he was his uncle that is Barnabas was his uncle but we learned the translation his, his cousin is right so they were cousins and maybe that had something to do with Barnabas's preference to Mark I don't know but they had a strong disagreement about that now I think that's interesting too uh, today when let's take two missionaries these guys have worked together for six years or so or more they've been very close they were a dynamic team. And here they are having a great difference to the extent that they just couldn't agree. Paul said, no. And Barnabas said, that's not right, Paul. We're going to, I want to take him. And I wonder, did they pray about that? Isn't that what we would do? Which what we would uh, advise today, isn't it? Brethren, let's pray about this and see if we can reach a satisfactory conclusion. I don't know. Both of them had the Holy Spirit, right? So why in the world did they allow this? That has always puzzled me. I've got to be honest with you. 
I don't know how that happened. They went their separate ways to the mission field. Barnabas took Mark and they went back to Cyprus and probably went other places we don't know about. The only negative thing we found about Barnabas in Scripture is when Peter had come down to Antioch at a certain time that he was withdrawing himself from the Gentile Christians when James, some came down from James and he saw them, uh, he started not eating and not associating with the Gentile Christians. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was condemned. And he said, if you are a Jew and you live as a Gentile, why are you trying to persuade the Gentiles to live as the Jews? And so this settled the matter. But he said even Barnabas was carried away with this dissimulation for a period of time. Got him straightened out. Paul straightened them all out. He straightened them out at Jerusalem and he straightened them out here as well. That's the last we hear, Barnabas. You think he kept on preaching the gospel? I do. But it's interesting about 10 years later, Mark is with Paul in Rome. And Paul is saying good things about him. Now this Mark, we know his mother, as I said earlier, had a big house where Peter went after he got out of prison when Herod had had him arrested. No two angels freed him. And he went to this house where Rhoda, the maid, they could afford a maid. This was an affluent house. This is where Mark lived. So he went there. And so he had a close relationship with Peter as well. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, Peter calls Mark my son. He don't mean physically, literally, but he means he was his mentor. That is, Peter was his mentor. So Mark had quite an interesting life himself. And this period of time here, this 10 years, is also likely the time that Peter has gone to Rome. Now Peter says in his epistle that he wrote in 1 Peter, he talks about Babylon. And he said, those in Babylon, Aristarchus, salute you as well as Mark, my son. Babylon is a word generally thought by scholars to mean Rome. So it, it was possible that... Uh, that even this period of time, around 67 or thereabouts, that um, Paul was in Rome at the same time. Peter might have been in Rome. Mark might have been in Rome at the same time. To be sure, uh, Peter did consult with Mark, or maybe I should say Mark uh, consulted with Peter in writing his gospel. So we know that they had a close relationship. There's a son of encouragement. He was a generous man. Think about the significant gift that he made. Now, Levites didn't commonly own property because they lived off the other tribes, right? But we find out Jeremiah did have some land and he was going to check it about the time that Jerusalem was being besieged. We need to be always reminded that yeah, Acts 2.38 is in the Bible, but so is Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, what else do we need to know? You want to make God happy, cheerful, and give. All of us need to be reminded of that. Barnabas loves souls. You don't go and put in the effort that he did without loving souls. Today, 
we need to be constantly reminded of our mission today. Yeah, strange times, true enough. But we all need to be reminded that that's the bottom line. That's where it's really at. So we need to be in some way involved in trying to bring people to acknowledge the truth. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas was given this name? And there's that sheet of paper, that white sheet. Isn't it interesting that somebody else gave him this name, the apostles gave him this name, and he was not called Joseph again in the Bible. It's called Barnabas. Now we know that God changed some names. We know about Abraham. We know about Jacob, perhaps others. We know that Jesus called Peter Cephas. We know that He called James and John, the apostles, the son of thunder, Lagerges, Boinerges, the sons of thunder. So He gave some names as well. And we, you know, the human race, really something about giving people names. Here's one you'd probably like to have. Honest Dave, you can't say much bad about that. Oh, here's the bear. <laughs> Who can forget the bear? He still lives. People still wear those checkered hats or houndstooth hats, but now they got another hero in Tuscaloosa. But what about what about Shub? Don't forget Shub. He's a good guy too. I never could quite figure out, frankly, how you get Shug out of S-H-U-G instead of S-U-G. Sugar is Shug. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. But he's a great man. Well, there's Doc. Wide Urban couldn't have gone to the uh, fight at the OK Corral, which wasn't at the OK Corral. It was kind of behind the art studio, close to the OK Corral. But he would have never made it without Doc. And you know who Doc was. Of course, he was Doc Holliday. Only one babe. A lot of people could be called babe, but only one. The Sultan of Swat, right? If you earned a name today, what would it be? What would you really want to be called? You want a name? Well, some of us used to have names. In fact, when I was from the first grade to about sixth grade, people didn't know my first given name. Most of them didn't. Students didn't. They called me something else. Was it good? But what would it be? Well, you got some people that are uh, commentators, right? You don't want to be necessarily be a commentator. Those people talk a lot. So they got an opinion about everything. And they don't mind telling you, really. And they don't get paid for it either. Now, if you're on television you get paid for it, that's one thing. But if you're not, then that's not always the best thing in the world. And then you got, old oh, the agitator. You know, an agitator's thing's on a washing machine. Especially on the old-timey washing machines. They had that thing, and then it made a terrible noise. And it did a, a the uh, whatever you call it. It was not a dance, but it kind of looked like a dance. So we've got some people always going to have something going, something stirred up. I used to know somebody like that. A member of my board. I don't want to tell you about them, but uh, it was really interesting. Always something going. We don't want to be old Angie. And we don't want to be a hesitator. Hesitate saying there's no need in trying to do anything. Let's just not worry about it. We've done that already, you know, and so uh, uh, we can't do it, right? And you got a spectator, somebody that's willing to let everybody else do the work, and I'll just kind of see what happens and get along. None of us wants these names, but how about old Lamentator? Looks like I first fly tonight, and old poor old poor old bulldog with his chin on the floor. Lamentator. 
Oh, things are bad. And you know, they're not as bad today as they're going to get, right? Worse than they were yesterday. Well, again, we need to remember that God is in charge. But how about, whoa, how about sister supporter? Would you like to have a name like that? We have sister supporters in this church. Thank you. Elders do thank you for your support, all of you. You've shown a, a great deal of encouragement. And you can't do better than being brother encourager like Barnabas. When all is said and done, he was a great man. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if we miss heaven, we've missed all. So tonight, if you're here and if you have a need, or if you're on streamline, that's a good word, streamline at home, and you feel that you need to repent, you can do that. Whatever you need tonight, the cross stands forever as man's greatest need, man's greatest fulfillment. And we all need to be constantly reminded of that. That we can do nothing, we can be nothing without the cross, without our Savior. So if you're here and subject to the gospel invitation in any respect, please come as we stand and sing this song.